My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. And Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise. Do not be afraid. When the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. I don't know how many times or the many different places I heard that phrase, what is it going to take to get this into your head when I was growing up? Teachers and coaches used that phrase with me. I thought my parents had invented the phrase for me. My brothers used a slightly different variation using other words, but the meaning was pretty much the same. What is it going to take to get this into your head? And looking back at the different times I heard that growing up, it usually was said when I wasn't paying much attention or I didn't want to do something or I was bored or just had something else on my mind. So my little league coach trying to get into my head how to cover first base in baseball, but I'm still angry that I'm not the starting pitcher and wondering why Frankie Pasqua was picked even though I knew he could pitch really well and that's a whole other story. Next batter, I miss, mess up the same way I had done before, and I hear my coach somewhat exasperated, screaming when I get back to the dugout, what is it going to take to get this into your head? Or my teacher trying to go over the differences between there and there, T-H-E-R-E, T-H-E-I-R. Actually sitting with me, trying to explain the difference between the two words, and I'm not, not there myself. I'm looking at the clock, waiting for lunch. Pretty sure she muttered, what is it going to take to get this into his head the next time she was grading my paper? And my parents, well, I'm sure they can write a whole book on the times and instances and occasions they shared those words with me and my brothers. In reading this gospel for the transfiguration of Jesus, I kind of imagine Jesus wanted to say to Peter, James, and John, what is it going to take to get this into your head? Trying to break through 
the importance of what he's been saying to them about who he is and what his mission is. Just a quick recap here. These guys who have been following Jesus were at a minimum confused. Somehow Jesus had been able to, to touch their hearts. He compels them to drop everything and to follow him. And in this time that they're with him, they've witnessed healings. They've seen Jesus walk on water. They've heard Jesus teach. They see people coming to faith in him. And they think that they know who he is. You are the Christ, Peter accurately proclaimed about Jesus just a few passages before this gospel. But they still have their, their preconceived ideas of what the Christ is going to do for them. They're thinking they can't wait to see God fulfill his promises that he's going to restore his people Israel, to see their kingdom reestablished, to have their place as the chosen people being renewed. And they had that image in their mind that that's going to be happening by them sticking it finally to the Romans and everyone else who's ever mistreated the Jews over the many, many years that they've been waiting for the Messiah. But right before this gospel that we just heard, Jesus drops this bombshell. He tells the apostles that he's going to suffer and die. So now maybe they're thinking, huh? The same guy who healed that leper? The same guy who performs miracles? How is this going to be? How can that happen? It doesn't make sense to them. And after Peter protests, this Jesus kind of gives him a, a smackdown. He actually calls him Satan, so that's a pretty epic smackdown. And he follows up by saying, look, if you're with me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Not exactly what they had in mind. The Messiah was supposed to come and save them, not to lead them to a gruesome, painful death themselves. So as Peter, James, and John are, are walking up the mountain with Jesus, I could imagine they have a couple of doubts on their mind. Different thoughts like, Maybe all these people who've been doubting him, like the, the Pharisees and all these other religious leaders, maybe they're right. Maybe we've been foolish to drop everything and to follow Jesus. You can almost imagine Peter trying to work up the courage as he's walking up the mountain for some time with Jesus, trying to pull his thoughts together and to say to him, you know, I gave up a pretty lucrative fishing business to follow you. What's the deal here? Messiahs are not supposed to die. And if that's what's going to happen to you, which is bizarre and bad enough, what's going to happen to us? And it's just then that this transfiguration of Jesus happens. Jesus is transformed before their very eyes. These two important figures from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, appear and talk as Jesus in his bodily appearance has been glorified. They don't realize it, but they're getting a, a sneak preview of what the resurrection of Jesus is going to look like. And just to top it all off, then the voice of God the Father is heard from a cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. What's it going to take to get into their heads that Jesus' glory will only come after he suffered through the passion died and risen from the dead. In fairness to the three of them, a lot of us have difficulty believing in that idea of someone rising from the dead, even after Jesus has already done just that. 
can only imagine how much harder it would have been for them to comprehend it before that happened. But here's the thing, I think that the transfiguration was trying to do for them. And giving them this glimpse of the future, of experiencing just for a moment what Jesus would be like after the resurrection, it's meant to give them that hope that they're going to need to go through when things go very, very bad for Jesus and for them. So they experience this humble, meek man whose gentleness and love compels them to follow him, transfigured in a flash. And where Moses and Elijah, these two central figures in Judaism, who have been dead for centuries, alive again and conversing with him. And they see Jesus radiating in this supernatural light and hear the voice of God. And then just as quickly, there he is again. There in his beat-up sandals saying, let's go back down the mountain. Oh, and don't tell anyone about this. It will just confuse them. They needed this experience to sustain them for what was about to come. He wants to get into their heads that this is the way, that his way of the passion of the cross is better, that in Jesus Christ, God is here with humanity in a more complete, intimate way than ever before. God's no longer speaking through a flaming bush to Moses. He's no longer speaking through a prophet like Elijah. No, God the Father's voice is saying, this is my beloved son. Jesus is saying, I am all that you need. Listen to me. Trust me. Jesus says that to us today. As we come to this mass with with so many questions, so many fears and anxieties, and things that are weighing us down. We're looking for answers. We want to know everything's going to be all right. Or somehow things are going to work out. That, that God's listening to me. And for a moment, we're up on that mountain. And it's here that, that Jesus takes a simple piece of bread and a cup of wine that will become his body and blood. And he says, take and eat. He wants us to know he will never leave his followers. He's with us, and he remains with us as long as we remain with him. Are we ready not just to get that into our heads, but into our hearts and our lives as well?